Praise the Lord. Well, I had fully intended on uh, moving off of, off of uh, John chapter 12 and uh, starting a new uh, little three-part series that I felt like the Lord was leading me in. And as I sat down yesterday morning, I've been studying out this, this thing for the last month, and um, I just can't quite get off John chapter 12 yet, so we have to stay there for another, another time, just at least for this text, because I think it's I think there's still something there, and, and I just, I want to emphasize this um, over and over and over again. It's been the emphasis of this body for 25 years. For 25 years, we've been preaching the same thing. We've been saying the same thing, and I don't think it's time to stop now. Everybody say amen. amen. Um, it doesn't mean that we don't, uh, we, we have it all figured out, or that we don't need to, uh, need to grow, because we are intending to grow, but we're intending to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. We're not intending to grow on beyond Him. We're looking to grow in Him. Amen? That's something that is so vital and so important and so absent in so many places today. Um, so uh, I'm going to be working out. You can read the book of Zechariah if you want to, because um, I'm going to end up working out of there. I think there's some really interesting things, and, and I'm on a mission right now. Uh, just the Lord's really put in my heart over the last couple months. I've really, I'm, I'm searching for Jesus in the Old Testament. I'm searching for that, that messianic prophecy, those things concerning him. And I'm, I'm seeing so many things that maybe I've skipped over or maybe I've just not thought were vital and, and maybe that important. But yet, I just think it's so beautiful when we, when we add layers to the foundation of our faith. Amen. Every layer that we can get, um, really I kind of see it more like that we've dug down and we've got to the rock, but then maybe we just realize there's just a little bit of dirt we need to brush off there to get more down to the rock. And that's what I'm, what I'm laboring to do. So I, I intended to go, like I said, to the book of Zechariah, but then the Lord just, just put in my heart that we need to build this foundation one more, one more week first. And, and so tonight I just want to talk to you about this revealing that's happening in, in John chapter 12 and verse just 38. I, uh, my life verse right now, the, the, the verse on my heart is uh, John chapter 12 and verse, I think, what is it, 20, 21. Uh, Sir, we, would see, we wish to see Jesus or we would see Jesus. And that's kind of going over in my spirit. But uh, I want to read to you these, these three verses, four verses um, in John 12, 38, 39, 40, and 41. That the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke. Lord, who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And this is spoken out of the book of Isaiah, the 53rd chapter. And therefore, they could not believe because Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, and lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. And these things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. I want you to catch that line. He spoke of him. Look at the person next to you say, he spoke of him. We're talking about who? Jesus. And he spoke of him. Lord, we ask you, God, that you would help me to further 
a lay foundation that we can build on. Lord, I believe that you are the rock that we base our life upon. You are what we build. Our very future, our existence is built upon you. Lord, and I need your assistance because I can't say anything that has any weight. I can't say anything that holds anything. But your words, they hold and frame the very foundations of this earth. And so we ask you, God, that you would move by your spirit and help us to understand. And we'll give you all the glory. And everybody say amen. amen. The more I see of him, the more amazing it becomes. How many have found that statement to be true? Don't you just love to see Jesus revealed? I know around here we do. And we dig back the dirt. We discover another layer um, Maybe something that's just lying under the surface. Maybe something that we haven't really noticed before. And, and it just further adds color to the picture. There was a big change you know, back in the 50s, getting to the 60s, and now everything starts going color. And everybody wanted to see color television and color movies. And it, there adds a depth to it. it. It brings things that you had to imagine into clarity now. And that I think that when we discover things about... Jesus, it brings into clarity some things that were left veiled and left to the imagination. And I think that the Lord wants us to ultimately see him in his fullness. Amen? Now we know that the fullness of God, all that God is, is found in Christ. And Jesus was revealed, while I don't believe we'll understand everything in this life, I think that we will never exhaust the depth of the knowledge that is in Christ. We'll never get to the point where we say, you know what? We've, we've heard enough about Jesus. I literally heard a preacher say that. I've said it a few times from the pulpit. Big revival in Lakeland, Florida. The preacher got up and he said, we've heard enough about Jesus. Now it's time to hear about angels. And I'm going to say the opposite. I've heard enough about angels. I don't want to hear any more about angels. I want to hear about Jesus. And I don't believe that we can ever exhaust the subject. There are so many layers left to be discovered. There's so much more wealth and treasure of knowledge that's found in Christ that we have only scratched the surface. And yet, God has, has placed it there. And specifically, throughout the Old Testament, there are just countless prophetic voices speaking of who Jesus would be, of where he would come from, of how this thing would lay down. Do you think God just left that for, for no reason at all, just maybe to, to kind of um, be a timeline of sorts? Or is there importance in each of those things? And I think there's importance in them. I think there's importance in them. So I'm, I'm so amazed with every revelation that I see of Jesus, and it never contradicts his glory. Every time we see a fresh revelation of Jesus, it's the exaltation that furthers his glory. It never reduces his importance. It never reduces his, his uh, splendor and his majesty. It never brings him down in priority. But with every revelation, we see him more glorified. And that's what we're looking for. I think, and I think we could say this of the book of John as a whole. But I think, again, we can say this specifically even of this 12th chapter. Not just this 12th chapter, 
But I think in this 12th chapter, again, John is laying down the framework to let us know that there is nothing more important or vital than our view of Jesus. I told the class um, the other, a couple of weeks ago, I was doing the, the young adults, or yet teenage, no, teenage, college age, there we go, uh, class, and, um, and I told them that this, this quote from A.W. Tozer, I've been writing it on the top of every one of the pages in, in my notebook. Um, as I wake up in the morning, I read, I keep a notepad there, and I write down things that the Lord puts in my heart as I'm doing that. And on every page, I've got it written down pretty much right now. And that is this. What you believe about God is the most important thing about you. That seems like a very basic and maybe even, even a redundant point. Something you already knew, something that you already would understand. But the truth is, how you see God is going to affect every aspect of your life. And more specifically, how you see Jesus is going to affect every aspect of your life. What you do with Jesus is going to determine your eternal destination. And the church should say amen right there. What you do with Jesus is going to determine your existence on this earth. How you live, what you walk in, the, the blessing and the anointing of God on your life, the, the focus and the purpose with which you live, all of that is going to be the result of how you see Jesus. So if you see Jesus as a friend of drunks and prostitutes, then you're not going to see the holiness of God. If that's how you view him, obviously his, his grace is great and he reaches to people in all kinds of condition. But if that's what you think about him, if you think God is all about grace, if you think he doesn't care, he's not a God that judges, he's not a God of righteousness, it's going to affect how you conduct your life. Amen? So what you believe about God is the most important thing about you. And if that then is true, then I need to understand what I believe about God. I need to begin to make sure that what I believe about God is founded in the Scripture. Because I think what we'll find is as we pursue that thought, we're going to find we have a lot of thoughts about church, we have a lot of thoughts about God, we have a lot of thoughts about, about all these religious ideas that maybe aren't founded in the scripture. Some of them are just heritage that's been handed down to us by our grandparents or our parents' grandparents. Sometimes it's things that we've heard in the world, sometimes it's culture, sometimes it's songs that are supposed to be Christian that have introduced theology that's wrong. So if we're going to say the most important thing about us is what we believe, then we better be sure about what we believe. So to this, the Apostle Paul said, I know whom I have believed in. You notice he didn't just say, I know what I believe. Because what you believe is not important as who you believe in. Because who you believe in has to be Jesus. It's not just what you believe. You can believe that Jesus is born of a virgin. You can believe that he uh, was, was crucified, dead and buried and rose again. But if you don't believe into him, then you have no salvation. It's not simply just believing uh, on certain facts, but it is the believing of putting my faith, all that I am, into Christ that is vital for you. So I think John is laying this framework. There is nothing so vital for your life than that you see the revelation of Jesus, which will result in your lifelong pursuit of knowing him and his glory. 
And there is nothing else that we must have for salvation except that we see Jesus. Receive Jesus and repent and follow what Jesus said. There, there can be nothing else involved in salvation. If we strip it completely down to the frame. Now, I am not a good enough car guy to do this. But I know Brother Aaron and Brother Aaron have both been working on cars. And I know Charlie has done this. And I guarantee Curtis has done this. If you're going to build it up, you got to get it down to the frame and you got to get it stripped down so that you can get rid of the rust, you can get rid of any bends, you can get rid of any problems because you don't want to put all this money into something that the frame is no good, the foundation is no good. And if we're going to strip it down to the frame, then we have to say this, being born again cannot be about works. It can't be. Because if it is, then it's not about grace. And so when we strip it all the way down, we've just got to be very careful. Now, you say, well, Pastor Rodney, you're not going hyper grace. No, no, I'm not going hyper grace. I'm stating the fact that if we don't understand it's God's grace that brought us into salvation, then we're going to think that we've got something to do with it. We're going to think it's something that we did that brought salvation to my life. We're going to think somehow that a pastor's involved in my salvation. Or some other minister. But the truth is, it's the calling of Jesus. It wasn't your friend that called you. It wasn't your friend that saved you. It wasn't your pastor that saved you. It wasn't your mother that prayed for you and saved you. It was the grace of God that called your name when you didn't deserve it and brought you out of darkness and into His glorious light. And that is the grace that's extended to you. So it cannot be about works. I understand this trepidation from so many who say, well, we don't want to slip over into legalism. And I'm there too. I agree. We don't want to. Yes, there are works that accompany your faith. James says this. But it's, that's not about the salvation born again process. That's about the living for Jesus process. That's where the works come in. You will be judged by your works in the living for Christ. But in the new birth, there is nothing you can do to make it happen any more than that baby that is in the womb can make itself be born. Do we understand that? That it is completely determined by the timing of the mother as to when that baby will be birthed. The baby has nothing to do with it. It's all about the timing of the mother. And so is our birth. Our birth is 100% about God calling us and bringing us into salvation. And I don't ever want to lose that. I don't ever want to lose focus on that. Everybody say amen. amen. Flip back to John chapter 5 and verse 39. I want to read this little passage of scripture. And I've got to jump around a little bit. And the, the thoughts may be, uh, maybe at first, maybe seem like, well, you're a little astray. But I think we're going to bring them all together. I love this passage because Jesus speaking says this to the Jews who were, were looking for reasons to kill him, who had in their understanding the right to go down this road. They were justified in their hatred for him. They were justified in their desire to murder. They're looking and justifying all of their actions. They think they know the scripture. 
And his response in John 5, 39 is really what I want to pick up here. We've quoted it a lot of times, but Jesus said, You search the scriptures, for in them you think that you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. Jesus was not talking to just random people. He is talking to theological lawyers. Anybody ever talked to a lawyer? Anybody ever felt like lawyers were talking circles around you? <laughs> you just talk to somebody, you know, that person's smarter than I am. I better not get in a battle of wits with them. I don't know if I'm going to come out the winner. These guys are theological lawyers. They are perfect in their, in their debating skills. They have tried them. They work on each other. <laughs> iron sharpening iron. You know, that, that scripture out of the old. Well, this is what they're doing. They're trying to debunk each other. and They've really built a case for their justification for how they believe and how they think. They, they understood what they understood about the scripture. And they believed that these very scriptures contained for them life everlasting. That's what they believe. That's what Jesus just said. It's obvious they believed that in what scripture now are they reading though? Focus on that for a second. What are they reading? They're not reading the New Testament because the New Testament hadn't been given. So they were reading the Old Testament and in the Old Testament, they think there is life there. They think there's life in the law. They think there's eternal life. In fact, remember the rich young ruler comes running up to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's a concept. It's not a New Testament concept. That's an Old Testament concept. It's something that's a, a part of their understanding that there is life eternal that their God is offering, but they have become so detached from their God that they don't even know that the one they're asking is the one offering the life. The one they're wanting to murder is the one offering the life. I don't want to go there tonight, but I want to I say this, that they, they, saw, they sought life in the Scripture but they did not see Jesus in the scriptures. It was, it was clearly there. It was totally marked out for them. But they would not see Jesus. Obviously, their eyes had been closed to understand the scriptures. We just read this. This is what Isaiah said. He said, so that seeing they will not see and hearing they will not hear. But why? Has anybody ever thought about that? Why would, why would Isaiah say that? I'm going to blind their eyes so they can't see. And we call that a God of mercy and grace. Why? See, I don't think that their eyes were blinded because God didn't want to bring them into the kingdom. I think that their eyes were blinded because they didn't want to see what was clearly in front of their face. I think that God, as the scripture says in the book of Romans, when they refused to honor the, the creator and honored the creature more than a creator, what did, what did the scripture say? Then God gave them over to a reprobate mind. The result of your rejection of the revelation of Christ will be blindness in your heart. 
I don't think God said, well, I'm going to bring in the Gentiles, and in order for me to bring in the Gentiles, I've got to make all the Jews hate me. I don't think that's really the point of this. I think that God, obviously knowing what was going to happen, but, but Jesus wept over Jerusalem, and he said, oh, Jerusalem, how I would have comforted you. Pastor just read it, how I would have gathered you under my wings, but you would not. They didn't want God. They didn't want that. They wanted something different. They refused to see Jesus for who he was. They were not interested. So why do I believe that? How can you say that statement? God clearly blinded all the Jews, but he didn't blind all the Jews. Did some see who he was? Jesus' disciples saw who he was. Why? Because they were looking for him. Many common people saw who he was. Why? Because they were looking for him. In our text in John 12, we see that even some of the chief priests and rulers saw who he was. But remember, they did not confess because of fear. But they saw who he was. So God blinded the eyes of those who do not want to see. And I think that's still the case. I think God is merciful. I think God is gracious. I think he extends grace to so many, t- so many but I don't think God owes man a second chance to, to receive who he is. How many agree with that? I don't think God owes anybody anything. And I think that God has extended that grace, but I don't think he owes it to us twice. I think there's a lot of people who trample the grace of God, the scripture says. Feel as though it's, it's not important or unimportant. God loves the Jews as much as he loves the Gentiles. That's the second reason I believe this. I don't think God loves the, the Gentiles more than he loves the Jews. In fact, he speaks to his disciples upon his resurrection And he tells them, go and tarry in Jerusalem till you be endued with power from on high. After that, you shall become witnesses of me. Where? In Jerusalem. And then in Judea. And then in Samaria. Then to the uttermost parts of the world. Where does the gospel start being preached? Right in Jerusalem. God starts with the Jews first. He started with the Jews first in the very beginning. He he starts with Abraham. That faith is built on that. And then the result of that, when the gospel is being preached, it goes to the Jews first. And we know that thousands and thousands were being saved. God could have done it any way he wanted to do it. I don't think this was was the only way. God just said, this is how I'm going to do things. This is what I'm going to do. And it's not because he loves the Gentiles more than he loves the Jews. And we have to be careful about that today. In fact, Paul said we better be careful that we don't boast against the branch that was cut off. Because if he cut off that branch, he certainly could cut off this branch. So we need to be, the point is, we need to be hungry to see Jesus. If God cut off the Jews, his people, because they refused to see Jesus, then why would God spare us if we refuse To make our religion, our faith, our pursuit about Jesus. If we're going to make it about miracles, signs, and wonders, then we're an evil and adulterous generation just like the Jews were. So we need to labor that we keep the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. 
God is not a respecter of persons. God doesn't love Jews or Gentiles anymore. It's not your blood. It's not your nationality. It's not what family you were born into. It's those who are hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Look at John 1. So we're flipping back through the book of John and picking up some some interesting scriptures on this subject. But John 1 and verse 11. Of course, you all know this verse. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. To those who believe into his name. Who were not born, not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You know what is more deadly than not knowing who Jesus is? Rejecting who Jesus is. Not knowing is a condition that is curable. Pastor mentioned that scripture this morning. How can they believe in one in whom they have not heard? And how can they hear except there be a preacher? And how can there be a preacher if one's not sent? That's a curable condition. People who don't know about Jesus, it's simple. We proclaim who he is and they get an opportunity to receive him. But those who reject him, Hebrews says, how much more will the punishment be upon them who reject the Son when God did not spare the angels and God did not spare the children of Israel who rejected the law and who rejected the sacrifice and trampled on the blood of bulls and goats? How much more will God not spare those who reject the Son? So it's far more fearful to reject Jesus than it is to just not know who he is. And this is where Israel found itself. Exactly in this condition. It wasn't that they didn't know. It wasn't that they didn't believe Messiah was coming. It wasn't that they didn't know when he was going to come. It wasn't that they didn't know where he was going to be born. In fact, all of these things lining up and looking at who he was, they, they they were bothered by this situation. This can't be it. He's just the son of a carpenter. This can't be the guy. He's just from Nazareth. He's from Galilee. He's not royal. He's not important. He doesn't have the cloud. This can't be him. And the more the, 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 the prophecies lined up and the more it became obvious, the more they hated him and the more they rejected him. I learned something recently that I did not know. Some of you would not be surprised by that statement. I learned something, though, that I did not know. Currently, In modern times, each Jewish synagogue, which they call a shul, S-H-U-L, but they call it, they pronounce it shul, has a rabbi which determines what will be taught at that shul. It's similar to what we would have in a pastor, that we have a direction this is kind of the direction of Echoes of Calvary. We're going to preach Jesus. And that's been determined by, by the pastoral leadership, and that's what we're going to do. Kind of the same kind of a thing. But so they have control over what was taught. What astonished me was that as I listened to many different testimonies, there's, there's some testimonies that you can find on YouTube. I shared one of them with Chris. I've half thought about sharing it with you, except for that I don't have the free YouTube where you can cut out commercials. 
And who knows what might show up on that wall, so I'm not doing it. It blew me away. The group is called One for Israel. And near, they, have, they have, I don't know, hundreds probably of testimonies. Carrie and I sat there watching them one night, probably 15 or 20 of them, about 10 minutes each, and just crying. I was just blown away by something, though. I, I did not know this. That each one of these Jews who had been converted to Christianity, who had come to find their faith in Jesus and, and believe into him, each one of them had the same testimony from all over the world, from, from some from Jerusalem, some from New York, some from Los Angeles, not from the same synagogue, not from the same place, Shoal. Every one of them said the same thing. The book of Isaiah, the 53rd chapter, was forbidden for them to read. Did that blow anybody else away? How? How could you take Isaiah 53... You're in the middle of all this prophets. You're in the middle of this thing. And, and you say, you're not to read Isaiah 53. Now, I don't have time tonight. I'm not, I, I thought about cover, but just don't have time. Go on and read it. Obviously, you know this is, the, this is where it says, who has believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? That's the very beginning of that chapter. And then it goes on to talk about the, it is the full revelation the most concise chapter and wholeness of who messiah was to be and it clearly without any question points to jesus so you know how you deal with that when you're a jew you poke out your eyeballs that's what they're doing they're rejecting what is clearly in front of their face, they're closing their eyes. They are willfully blinded. One testimony that the man said, I went to my, to my rabbi and I said, I said, why can't I read Isaiah 53? And he said, because it causes confusion. So it's forbidden. This amazes me. Because I've always wondered, how is it that the Jews, the Jewish leaders, I can understand the people, I can understand those who grow up and just are being told they're, they're sheep. In fact, the scripture would call them dumb sheep. That I understand the people who have never been exposed because they've grown up in this thing. But how do the Jewish leaders read through this Old Testament and the hundreds of messianic prophecies? And not see Jesus. And that told me how. They reject the word of God. They forbid the truth of the word of God from being read. So that hearing, they will not hear. And so that seeing, they will not understand. I don't ever want to be in that place. I hear so much preaching out of the Old Testament. I mean, outside of this place, almost every text taken by a pastor, preacher, almost every one of them is Old Testament. How many listen to preaching from other people and how many hear so much Old Testament text? And almost all of it is surface level. Almost every bit of it is topical. 
It's don't be afraid of giants. David and Goliath, right? I mean, hey, if you're doing bad things, tell them to throw me overboard. That's Jonah. I want more anointing. Return to the old paths. Whatever your demographic, whatever your denomination, you can find Old Testament verses to push your agenda. And this is constantly what's being preached. Now listen, I'm not saying there's not a surface level truth in the Old Testament. How many would agree there are surface level truths? We can believe that whatever giant we're facing, God can conquer that giant in our life. That's true. But I think Jesus would speak to this and he would say, the Old Testament is not about conquering giants. Jonah is not about a fish swallowing a man. It's about the prophecy concerning Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. That's what it's about. No sign will be given them but the sign of the prophet Jonah. So much of it surface level. And while these are okay, they really are junior church stories. Has anybody been in church long enough to remember flannel boards? I remember being in kids' church, and you had this piece of flannel, and they had these little sticky characters that they'd put up on there. The little, I remember one specifically in my head. It was the little old woman picking up sticks. I remember that. And Elijah was up there, and he was, you move him, and then you move him. He's passing that way. Is Elijah, is that about women and meal and eating? Is that really what this is about? Provide for the prophet and uh, your needs will be taken care of. That's a really good message for, for faith preachers today, right? I mean, hey, give me your last bit and God's going to bless you. That's a great topic if you want to get money. Is that what it's about? Because I don't think that's what it's about. And like I said, I'm not, I'm not knocking. I'm not saying we shouldn't teach those things on a basic level. We absolutely should. But it's got to go deeper than that. I don't want to stop at the surface level. Because I believe that there are truths in the kingdom. There are truths of God that while we can see this level, there's another level right underneath that ties together. That whole Old Testament is not talking about random acts, but it's talking about the coming Messiah. And it builds the foundation in our lives of who Jesus is. I got to go somewhere else. Hebrews chapter 6. Because I think we get so stuck on the surface that sometimes we are missing where God wants to take us. The scripture talks about them missing their time of visitation. I don't want to miss my visitation because I'm so surface level that I'm not willing to dig deeper and to see the deeper things of God. 
Now, when we talk about the deeper things, everybody's trying to get to these glory tunnels and clouds and dust and, and weird manifestations. I'm not talking about that kind of deeper things of God. I'm talking about me being willing to take some time to dig a little bit to find Jesus in that Old Testament story of Jonah. That's what I'm talking about. Digging into the deeper things to find out what life is really about. Because when you break your life down, it is simply about you following Jesus. And you cannot follow what you do not see. That's an old baseball line. Because the kids get up there and they all want to hit the ball. But the problem is they pull their head or they close their eyes and you cannot hit what you do not see. And if Jesus is the mark, if we don't see him, then we're going to miss the mark. So I'm looking for him. Look at this passage of scripture. I was sitting there this morning as pastor was preaching and this scripture jumped into my heart. And it so fit perfectly. I had not included it, but it fit perfectly with what I was already going to say. And so read these, read these first, I think it's just the first three verses. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on unto perfection or into maturity. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. And of faith toward God. And of the doctrine of baptisms. And of laying on of hands. And of the resurrection of the dead. And of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Now what he is clearly saying. Is we want to get to some deeper things. But we've got to stop focusing on the elementary principles. He's not saying we're going to talk about these things if God permits. He's saying we're going to leave these things behind if you'll just grow up a little bit. Listen, if the church, or specifically you, is moved by a message about repenting from evil, more than you are about the logical direction of the scripture to reveal Jesus, it's probably because you are not saved. I hear all of this focus, and, and, and you, see, you see people, uh, you know, this message changed my life, and the message is repent and get right with God. Frankly, if you've been sitting in this church for 10 years, you should already have taken care of that. And if that's the message that moves you, this message changed my life after 10 years in church, it's because you weren't saved. That's why it so impacted you. It convicted you because you had not grown up. We've got to get beyond Dead works and repentance. I'm not saying we don't need to repent. In fact, there may be some people who need to repent tonight before we leave the building. But that is not the focus. Man, it would be so much better if pastor would just get up and preach a salvation message every Sunday morning. And then everybody could just stay babies. 
We could just talk about repenting. You could go out, sin, live your life, do whatever you want, come in, pastor, preach a really powerful message about conviction and about you need to get right with God. Everybody come to the altars, cry, go back out and sin and do the same thing every week. Man, you can get a pretty big church doing that. But it's a whole different scenario when we say we're going to dig the surface away. We're going to do some excavation. We're going to get down to the rock. Because that's something completely different. Look down through this. It's not that these things are wrong. But he says we need to leave behind the elementary principles. It's not that they don't need to be taught. Brother Aaron, you are teaching on baptism for three weeks. And that's what we should do. Because there's people who need to be educated about what baptism is. That's why we're doing that. But if that's the focus, then we've missed that's what Paul's saying, or the writer of Hebrews, we assume to be Paul. That's exactly what he's saying. And not just baptism, but baptisms. Multiple. What are we talking about? Water baptism? Holy Spirit baptism. We got a lot of churches divided on those issues. We're making that the big issue, and it's supposed to be the elementary issue. Is that the focus? How about laying on of hands? Well, there's two ways we can go with that. The imparting of gifts. Or we can talk about the laying on the hands of the sick. we got a lot of people divided over that. A lot of people looking for this glory, believing for these manifestations. Well, how about, uh, let's go with the resurrection of the dead. Let's, let's talk about rapture. Man, that seems really important. We need to get figured out about rapture. A term that's not even in the scripture. Well, we need to really get this figured out. No, it's elementary. It's not the deep things. <laughs> and what else? What else is not the deep things? Eternal judgment. It's not the deep thing? No, it's not the deep thing. The Bible's not about all of those things. The scripture is about the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, in that, these are principles that we learn at an elementary level. But at some point, we've got to put aside the elementary things. We use them. They're foundational. They're still a part of our life. But we stand upon them so that we can grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And if we're constantly focused on this, it's because we are elementary. It's not because we're mature. If you're having to deal with a repentance issue every week, it's because you're elementary. Paul said, I want to come to you with some meat, but all I can do is bring to you a baby bottle. And why am I bringing a baby bottle? Because you're a baby. That's what he says. I don't want to come to you with a whip, but I'd hope that when I'm 43 years old that my dad can talk to me without spanking me. So I don't want to do that. Do you want me to come to you and speak to you with, with authority? You want me to come talk to you? Talk? This is all about how we want to interact and we so want to stay infantile in our belief system. We want to focus on things that aren't important. So, I mean, you know, the, 
Might as well say it. If we're continually preaching about repentance, if we're continually preaching about baptisms, if we're continually preaching about laying on of hands, if we're continually preaching about resurrection, if we're continually preaching about eternal judgment, we're preaching junior church messages. That's what Paul's saying. We're focused on things that are basic, and I want to grow into things that are deep. I want to grow in knowing who Jesus is. I'm going to use those things. We believe in all of those things. Every one of them. I believe there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. I believe there's judgment at the end. I believe that God's going to catch his church away. I believe in being baptized. I believe in repentance. But I cannot live there. What we don't need is to do what I said. Get pastor up here and preach that repentance gospel every week. What we do need is for men of God to stand up and say, you know what? It may not be popular. It may not be uh, the way to draw crowds, but we're going to scrape away this layer. We're going to get the excavator out. We're going to push off all the rubble, and then we're going to start digging some footings so that we can get down to the rock. Because if we don't get to the rock, then we've got nothing. Nothing. Don't ever overlook or grow weary of men digging out the Old Testament prophecies concerning the revelation of Jesus. Do you know that's going to take some time? You know that takes a little bit of time? It's not something you're just going to do with a 20-minute topical message. And pastor will say this sometimes. We're, we're here like, like college. We're going to take some time to learn now. We're going to invest something here. This isn't just sit back, pull back the recliner, and kind of sleep through this thing. We're going to have to dig a little bit. You're going to have to write something down. You may have to go home and study it out some for yourself. All I'm trying to do is open the door for you to understand that there is more to Jesus than what you've ever known. There's more to Jesus than what I know. And it's available for you to find. And that's the function of what we're doing here. I can't speak for what everybody else is doing. But I can speak for what our purpose is and what our function is. So after the crucifixion, oh, i got to hurry. I will, I promise. After the crucifixion, two men are walking on the road to Emmaus, discussing all that has happened. And you can be turning to Luke chapter 24 really quick. Well, I'm, I'm going to try to close this thing down. Luke chapter 24. I'm going to get there so they don't have to, have to wait. Luke chapter 24 and verse 25. They're discussing everything that has just happened at the crucifixion. Jesus joins them, but yet they do not know who he is. He's hidden from them. They don't recognize him because he's glorified in that sense that he's resurrected. He began to talk, they begin to tell him all that has happened. Cleopas tells Jesus of all the things that have happened and, and how they put their faith in him, in Jesus as the Redeemer, and how that it's been three days since he was crucified, and now they went to his grave and he was gone, and Jesus answered him this way. So let's read a few verses here, the 25th verse starting. And he said in them, O foolish ones, slow of heart, to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. How many of you like to be on the road to Emmaus? That's our journey. That's what I'm wanting. That's what I'm desiring. Now listen. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone further. 
But they constrained him and said, Abide with us, for it is evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now, it came to pass that as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? And while he opened to us the scriptures... So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told of the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. And then look down at verse 43. And he took it and ate in their presence. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spoke unto you while I was still with you, that all the things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. What's left out in the Old Testament? If you got the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, what are we missing? Everything there is about him. Cleopas and his traveling companion saw Jesus twice. Jesus Jesus showed up where these men were for a couple of reasons. And I just want to give you a few reasons, a few ways that if we want to see Jesus revealed to us, I want to just close with a few ways that we can see Jesus revealed to us. They were talking about him. Jesus showed up where these men were because they were already conversing about what had happened to him. It's funny that he doesn't show up in a lot of other places. I I don't know why he didn't show up right there with the 11 first. I don't know. But he shows up there because they are talking about him. You have to understand, if we want to see Jesus, then our focus needs to be on Jesus. If we want to see Jesus show up, start talking about Jesus. Talk about him with your children. Talk about him with your brothers and your sisters. Talk about him with your husband and wife. Begin to discuss that, and all of a sudden, they're walking along, and he's right there with them. Second, they had been close to Jesus They had been close to Jesus' disciples because they were aware of all of the details surrounding his crucifixion and appear to be in the extended group of the disciples because it said that those who were with us went out to the tomb to see if he was there. So they were in close proximity. They were brothers with the disciples. You need to be around God's people if you want to see Jesus. Got to be looking for him. Third, they trusted in Jesus. It, It says of them that they had put their faith in him, that he was the redeemer of Israel. And they believed him to be what he said he was. But the second part of that, not only did they just trust Jesus, that he wasn't a liar and that he was honest and that he was a good man, but they trusted that he was the redeemer, which meant that they knew the scriptures, that there was a redeemer to come. 
and that they understood scriptures were speaking of him. You will never see Jesus if you don't look for him in the scriptures. People who are removing the Bible from their relationship with, with God and having encounters with God in big conferences and, convic- and conventions are not meeting Jesus. They're meeting some other spirit. Because the Jesus that we're going to find is the Jesus of this book. And you're not going to recognize him unless you're aware of the words that he spoke and the prophecies concerning him. It'll never contradict him. His appearance in your life will never contradict what he's already laid down. Amen? I'm almost done. They invited Jesus to, to stay and to eat. If we want to see Jesus... Even though they didn't know who he was, they were so hungry to hear more from the scriptures of who Jesus was that they invited a stranger to stay and talk to them more about Jesus. They recognized that this guy who they didn't know, who showed up out of nowhere walking beside him, had something to show to them about the revelation of Christ. And they were hungry. And you have to make a place for him in your home. You're going to have to make a place for him at your table if you want to see him. Next, you may say, well, I've done all of those things. How many would say, I've seen Jesus? How many raise your hand and say, I've seen Jesus? He's, he's in my, I know you guys all got all weird on me. I'm not talking about, <laughs> you've seen him in the scripture and you've put your faith in him. How many would raise your hand and say, okay, there we go. Everybody got really weird. I've already done these things. I saw Jesus. He's been revealed to me. I've put my faith and my trust in him. They saw him twice. And you know how he showed up the second time? Because when they saw him, the first thing they did when they recognized who he was is they immediately, now this is, the day is far gone. It's probably through the night that they ran back to Jerusalem. To find the eleven and those that were with him. And they begin to tell them about the revelation of who Jesus was. It's cyclical. We can see Christ, but I'm not satisfied to just see him once. I'm not satisfied just to see him in salvation. I want to see him in all of his glory. And the way that happens is we need to begin to tell people about him. When you begin to share the revelation of who he is then God's going to begin to pour out more of the revelation of who he is in your life. To whom much is given, much is required. You've got to give if you want to get. If you want to see more of Jesus, then tell the people around you about who Jesus is. Lord, we ask you tonight that you would reveal yourself. Lord, I pray that you give us hearts, ears to hear, hearts to respond. Open our eyes, God, that we can see you in your glory. Lord, and help, these, help our pastors, help our ministers here. Help us to, to be able to dig out some treasures of who you are so that we can share the value of your greatness. And we give you all the glory, Lord. And everybody say amen.